Bye-bye. Good morning, everyone. Welcome, welcome to the Barefoot Church. Uh, good to see everyone. Uh, thank you for joining us this morning. Welcome, welcome. Um, long time ago, when Joanne and I, my wife and I were married, um, Joanne had a, a before ceremony party, you know, kind of a wedding party thing. And her aunt gave her a special a gift. And the gift was um, more probably aimed toward me than it was Joanne, which was interesting uh, because it was a book. And I, I like books generally. I, I enjoyed, I, past tense, I enjoyed reading lots of books. Um, I, I uh, enjoyed that so much that I would read them in day and night and in between. And I'd spend hours and hours at the library, both in high school and in college, of course. And I, I enjoyed reading. However, this book was different. Uh, the, it was a very, very short book, um, maybe as much as 12 pages. But the title of the book uh, was, was the most outstanding part. And then the contents um, were interesting. The title of the book was How to Train Your Dog. How to Train Your Dog. And again, this, this, is, a, a, this is a wedding present, all right? How to Train Your Dog. Now, one of the things that I got out of that book was, was a, um, well, I, I use an acronym. I use TAME, T-A-M-E. And for many years in teaching both adults and, and youth groups, uh, youth conferences, I would use T-A-M-E to talk about friendship, that to be a friend, how do you be a loyal friend? How do you be uh, a friend who is true, uh, who is, has been tried and, and run the test and is a true friend? And so I used to use, uh, let's see here, T-A-M-E. I used to use uh, T for time, A for affection, uh, M for mutuality, and then E for experiences, experiential workings together. And that was kind of the, the kickoff to how I would begin helping people understand what friendship was and what it is to be loyal friend. Now, I couldn't figure out any way to use that exactly today, but I wanted you to be aware that what we're gonna be working on is this whole thing of training ourselves, um, hopefully not training somebody else, but training ourselves to be tame, to be a loyal and true to be uh, consistent, to be committed. Now, to start that with, I'd like to go to a place in, in the Bible called Lamentations, Lamentations. Uh, it's a book somewhere near the prophet uh, Jeremiah because some people think that Lamentations was written by Jeremiah. Other people say, nah, it couldn't have been so boring. I, I, Lamentations is, is the book, chapter. Chapter uh, three. So Lamentations, chapter 3. And uh, we'll go down and start with verse 22. It goes like this. Now, this is the paraphrase first. Um, the Lord's loving kindness never ceases. So the first part of this is God's mercy never ceases. It doesn't stop. God's mercy doesn't stop. So God's loving kindness never ceases. Second, his caring compassion never is is uh, ends it never ends uh, his God's caring compassion never ends his love for us in other words never ends his caring compassion his love for us never ends 
So the, the mercy, the loving kindness never ceases. His loving, uh, his uh, caring compassion, his love never ends. And then uh, an interesting um, phrase here, count on it. In other words, um, count on it just like every sunrise comes up, count on it. It's the same thing with God. That every day it's fresh. Every day it's renewed um, fully. And so every day the sun comes up reminds us God's loving kindness never ceases. God's mercy, his, his love, his compassionate care of us never ends. And then the, the last phrasing here is for he is, he is faithful. God is faithful. Uh, great is his faithfulness. So the, the emphasis here is on ceasing, never ceasing, on ending, never ending, and on faithfulness, great is God's faithfulness to us. And there have been several hymns along this, this line, but I want to point out uh, this faithfulness part. What is it like to be faithful? Now, I want to read the same scripture, though, from the message. Uh, again, Lamentations chapter 3, starting with verse 22 in the message. It goes like this. God's loyal love, again, look at the loyal. Uh, Peterson here picks up a, a Hebrew understanding of what it is that never ceases. It is is the loyal love. What is it? The loving kindness is loyal. It's loyalty. So God's loyal love couldn't have run out. His merciful love couldn't have dried up. So the loyal love, the merciful love, couldn't run out, couldn't dry up. Because they, the loyal love, the merciful love, are created new for you every morning. How great is your faithfulness. And then the, the comment here, another part of the, the Hebrew structure is, I'm sticking with God. I say it over and over again, I'm sticking with God because he's all I've got left. And you know, this is, a, again, this understanding of loyalty, this understanding of holding on, never ceasing, uh, being faithful. Um, I'm sticking with God. Uh, again, I say it again and again. I'm sticking with God because I've got nothing left. And the understanding is that, you know, we, we get to a point sometimes where we think it's all over, it's all done. There's nothing else, no hope. And what lamentation reminds us of over and over again is there's nothing else but, but stick with God. Stick with his unceasing love, loving kindness. Stick with his unending mercy, his compassion, his loving compassion for you. Uh, because there's nothing like it. For God is faithful. Doesn't matter what we're going through. God is faithful in his love, in his love, in his love. Even when we have nothing else, God is there. And again, that's, that's Lamentations. Now, another place that's interesting, and that's in uh, 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 4. And a, a, little, um, a little background. In the, in the 1870s, um, in Chicago, Illinois, uh, it was a very um, prosperous time for some people. Uh, it was a time of excitement and building and all kinds of possibilities and future was there. And uh, 
there were several large churches. The largest church in Chicago was extremely active in, in ministry in, in the streets of Chicago. They, they had um, charities for, for anyone and everyone. Mm -hmm. They had preachers um, who were, were still remembered today. Um, in, in this particular church and the other churches in Chicagoland, and, and one of the reasons that the churches could do all these things is because they had big givers. They had people who gave uh, tremendous amounts of money to the churches, especially the one church. And one of those people was a guy by the name of Horatio Spafford. Now, Spafford was an attorney, a very famous attorney, a very good attorney in Chicago. He had contacts with the Chicago political system, um, the Chicago um, structures of, of everything, um, and the churches. He had, he had all kinds of special. In fact, in one church, he, he served as part of the leadership in one church. And besides being an attorney and making um, bushels of money in his profession, he also owned properties houses, buildings, businesses, properties. And he was extremely successful. Nothing like it, extremely successful. Um, now, if you know anything about the, the 1870s um, in Chicago, you remember hearing a story about the big fire, uh, the Chicago fire. As it turns out, uh, all of Spafford's holdings all of his buildings, all of his businesses, uh, all of his homes that he owned uh, were burned to the ground. Uh, he was left with nothing. Um, it wiped him out. He lost his uh, relationship with the church. Um, he lost his relationship with, with uh, his attorney clients. Um, he, was, he was really feeling it. Now, one of the things that happened is, is uh, Spafford, his wife and, and four daughters, decided that they would spend some time in Europe, sort of trying to recuperate. And so Spafford had arranged this large um, ship to carry uh, his family, he and his family, to Europe. And at the last minute, Spafford got a call that he was needed. Uh, he was needed to stay there because they had some possible bill, uh, uh, business dealings for him. And that was extremely, um, that's something he wanted to hear. That's something he wanted to take part in, possibilities of, of some business. And so Spafford told his wife, you, you take our four young daughters uh, ahead on, on the ship. And uh, as soon as I finish my business, I'll get the next ship and, and come join you in Europe. And so the, the wife and the four daughters took off in the ship, and, and Spafford stayed uh, at home. And, and as time went on, a few days, the, um, Spafford um, got a telegram uh, from his wife. And the bottom line was, it said, um, uh, all alone. And as, as he began learning what had happened, at a particular place in the Atlantic Ocean, the uh, steamship that they were on, the, the cruise ship or the, the ship that they were going to Europe on, had been rammed, had been hit by another ship. And the complete cruise line ship had sunk within less than 12 minutes. Uh, all four of his daughters, his young daughters, were drowned. 
His wife survived because she was picked up by another boat that happened to be in the area. And she survived and was taken on to, to England or Europe. And she sent a, a two-word telegram uh, back to uh, Spafford. Now, um, Spafford uh, had a rough time. He um, decided to join his wife and uh, mourn the loss of their daughters. And so he got on a, another ship. And as they were traveling the same route, basically, that the first ship had traveled, the captain came down to Spafford's uh, cabin and, and said, you know, if, if you're interested, this is the spot where your, your, your daughters would have drowned. This is the spot where the collision took place and the ship sank. And so Spafford, uh, greatly moved, um, sat down. And he began writing. He wrote uh, four verses, four stanzas of, of a poem or of a writing. And um, he wrote out of his heart. He wrote uh, tremendous words. And the basis of it, um, one of the places in the Bible that he uh, treasured and that came to speak to him at that time came from 2 Kings. Now let me talk a little bit about 2 Kings. Um, 2 Kings, uh, chapter 4, uh, verse 26. Now the story leading up to this is this woman um, had been promised by a prophet that she would have a child. And she had never been able to have a child. Uh, she'd been married for some time and uh, was, was uh, barren, was, was without child. And the prophet told her, next year, one year from now, you will have a son. Yeah, okay. And what do you know? She has a son. And the prophet is, is away. He's in a, another neighboring town. And the woman goes in to the son's bedroom and uh, wishes him well for the day. And he went out to work with his daddy. He was still young. And during the day, the daddy was working in the field. During the day, the son came to the daddy and said, I have a headache. My head hurts. My head hurts. And so daddy had one of the workers take the son back to mom. Mom put him in bed so he could lie down and feel better. The problem is he didn't feel better and he died. The mother um, ordered one of the workers there in, in an area to saddle up the animal and she was going to ride and be taken to where the prophet was. So she rode to where the town where the prophet was and the prophet saw her coming and said, oh, that's, and, and go and meet her, he told his, his servant. And so the servant went and, and said, you know, greetings lady, uh, I come on the, on the, uh, the favor of the prophet and, and how are you and how is your husband and how is your son? And her answer to the servant was, um, it is well, it is well. And so the, 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 man, the woman now is taken by the servant, by the man to the prophet. And the prophet again, you know, how are you? And, and the answer is, it is well. And then she tells the prophet, 
the son which you told me I was going to have has died. And so the prophet takes some action. Uh, he has his servant do some things, and then finally the prophet goes, and, and the son is brought back to life. But the, the, the focus here is she has all this pain because of her one and only son. She has all this pain because she's been told, here it is, this is what's going to happen, and it happened. And here her small son goes with daddy and then comes home and dies. And yet she is questioned, how are you? How is your son? And her answer is, it is well. Now, Spafford was familiar with this text. He was familiar with the scripture. And so the, 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 the writing he did, the four verses he did, uh, became to know, became known as the song, It Is Well With My Soul. And so Spafford writes this on board the ship. It is then put to music, and it is a very um, moving series of words in, in what he wrote. It is a very moving uh, tune in the song. And again, the message is, it is well with my soul. And the words are moving. Um, the the third, first, second, and third, and fourth uh, stanzas are, are touching to the heart. It talks about Christ. It talks about new life. It talks about the pains. It talks about the hopes. And his eternal hope on that day when Christ returns. I, I would invite you to, to look at that, uh, look at the, the verses. Now, later on, another verse was added by someone else. Um, but the, the original four, uh, one and a two and uh, three, and then number five in the current version. The original four are, are the most moving. And again, that is because of an understanding that the commitment that the mother had, I have faith, prophet, in you making a change in what has occurred. I see beyond what has happened to my son and his headache and his death. I know, prophet, you can do something. My, my um, faith, my um, faithfulness in you and what God has told you carries on beyond. Do something, prophet, do something, and make my faith complete. Make my life with, complete uh, with my son's presence. And the prophet, because of God, did. We're, we're talking here about um, a loyalty, um, a compassion, a uh, taming, um, a training, an understanding that shows this is what faith is like. Even though tragedy has struck, even though it seems like all is gone, my trust, my hope is in God. Um, even though it seems um, it is well with my soul. Now another example of, of this um, understanding of commitment appears in the book of, of Ruth. And I'll be looking at Ruth uh, chapter 1. And I, I invite you to listen to these uh, statements that Ruth is giving. Um, 
Ruth knows that she is expected to go away, to leave. That's what they want her to do is leave, Ruth. Leave the area. Go back to your own place. Go back to your own house, your own country, your own people. And Ruth has a different idea. Um, Ruth is, feels so strongly about this that she says, um, if, if I don't follow through on this, after she makes her, her statements, she says, if I don't follow through on this, may God um, do damage to me. Um, and, and the understanding of the phrasing here is an understanding that when a promise is made in, in, this, in this area that Ruth is talking about, if a promise is made, uh, sometimes they actually take a, a lamb or a goat and, and rip it apart. And what it says is, if I break my promise, that's going to happen to me. I'm going to be, you know, feel free to rip me limb to limb. Feel free to rip me apart. Another thing that happens is uh, a promise is made and ex an exchange is made. And if, if I break the promise, everything that I have belongs to the one that I gave my exchange. And Ruth says, if I break this promise, may God do this, all of this to me and more if I break my promise. So Ruth, Ruth's promise becomes extremely important because she's putting her own life on the line. She's putting her own commitment on the line. Now, here's what Ruth said. Um, don't force me to leave. Don't push me away and force me to go because I want to make here my home, not there but rather here. My commitment is to you. My desire is to make my home here. And then Ruth continues, where you go, I'm gonna go. Wherever you go, I'm gonna go too. What you want to go, where you wanna go, I wanna go. If you wanna go to Atlantic City, I wanna go to Atlantic City. If you wanna go to Hoboken, I wanna go to Hoboken. It doesn't matter where, when or how, I want to go where you want to go. That's commitment. Another, wherever you live, I will live. Or another way of putting that is, where you abide, where you dwell, I will dwell. I will abide. My commitment to you is, where you find home to be, is where I will find home to be. Where you dwell, I will dwell. Where you live, I will live. Where you abide, I will abide. Or another, your people are now my people. All of the people around you, the friends or your family, your friends, your family, they're now my family. They're now my friends. My commitment to you is the relationships you have, I respect. The people that are related to you are related to me. Your friend is now my friend. No qualification. My commitment to you is those people who are in your life are now also in my life. So we have, we have the, the where you go, I will go. We have the dwelling, where you dwell, I will dwell. And now we have your people uh, are my people. Uh, we have another one then that goes like this. Uh, your God is my God. Now Ruth's background is, is not... Um, is not of the same uh, cultural background, or the same heritage, definitely not the same religion. She was used to many gods, small g. She was used to many forms of worship. 
But where her commitment is, all that is gone. My God is now the one that you serve. Your God is my God. I commit to you that your spiritual life is now the focus for my spiritual life. Your worship of God is now my worship. Your understanding of God the Father, of Jehovah, of Yahweh. Your understanding of your God is now my understanding of God. And then the commitment is where you die, I will die. That time that comes when death occurs and you die, I die. I feel so deeply, deeply in my commitment to you that where death occurs to you, then I will also experience death when my time comes at that very place. And then where you are buried, then is where I will be buried. Where you are buried, then I will be buried. And then she makes the, the covenant phrase, so help me God. So help me God. In other words, um, my covenant is so strong that I accept the signed contract of the way that we do business here in covenant. Damage will occur to me if I break this promise to you, this commitment to you. And then a very, very, very um, telling phrase that she ends it with. Not even death itself is going to come between us. And I know in our experience, you know, with, with living, we, we tend to think that if someone dies, it's, I, I've lost them forever. And, and I know that some of us in our living know that we lose someone to death. We know that we will be with them, that death has no part in our relationship together, that death has no part to determine how our life will be because we know eternally where we will be and in whose presence we will be, Jesus the Christ and all those who have gone before us. And so Ruth's commitment is not even death itself is going to come between us to separate us. So you've heard now these examples of loyalty, of commitment, of seeing beyond it as well, and understanding this covenantal relationship of commitment, of promise. I'm very much aware in today's teachings and in today's culture and in today's thinking that um, marriage, family, is in the very bottom of things. There is active teaching that families uh, are not important and should not exist. There is very active teaching that commitment does not need to be present in a marriage between a husband and wife. In fact, marriage isn't necessary between someone and someone else who has children. Um, I know differently from what the Bible tells us. And I, I will teach this uh, no matter what. That the family structure is number one in God's sight. 
The relationship between husband and wife is number one in God's sight. The structure of family instructs us as to the nature of church, the nature of sisters and brothers together in the same body of Christ, the ecclesia. The structure of family gives us our understanding of how we are ordered in relationships to each other all across the world. The structure of family gives reason and order to an understanding of governmental runnings. Family is primary in our life. I want to read one other place then that has to do with commitment, with loyalty, with a promise. And that comes from the New Testament, from the first book of the New Testament, Matthew. And specifically, it comes from Matthew chapter 19. Now, if you're taking notes or want to know on the side, Matthew 19, the particular area we're reading, actually refers back to the book of Genesis, the very first book in the Old Testament, the very first book of the Bible. Genesis 2.24 is where this is relating. But I won't read 2.24. I'm going to stay in Matthew 19, starting with verse 4. So Matthew 19, verse 4. Uh, Jesus is the one who is speaking. Uh, Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the Messiah, our Savior, uh, Yahshua, Joshua. Jesus is the one who is speaking. And this is what he's saying. The Creator originally made man and woman for each other, male and female. Jesus is speaking. He's teaching. There are people from the leadership of the temple there. There are people there who are leaders in, in the uh, religious fields. Uh, they are scholars there. And there are other people there. And, and, of course, the disciples are there. And Jesus says, the Creator originally made man and woman for each other, male and female. Because of this, a man leaves his uh, father and mother and is firmly bonded to his wife, becoming one becoming one flesh. No longer two bodies, but instead one body. It is an organic union of the two sexes. So that no longer are there two individuals, but now a whole new unity is formed. No longer two individuals, but now a whole new unity is formed. This is an understanding of commitment that is just not a promise, I marry you forever. It's not just a promise I will love and cherish. It's not just a promise. It's an actual understanding given by Jesus that the male and female in relationship to each other become one. Now I have a lot of people, well that's just talking about spiritual, and I have a lot of people, well that's just talking about physical relationships, so marriage isn't part, well, Guess what? Understanding of commitment by Jesus' teaching, here in Matthew especially, and, and several other places in the New Testament, Ephesians and Luke or somewhere, Mark, Mark, Mark. Uh, the same teaching, that the two individuals make a promise, make a commitment that they become one. That it's a unity that is formed organically. It is a unity that is formed between the two of them. Just like Ruth, I go where you and I live where and I with and your people are and even death 
it does not separate us. It's an understanding of it is well. No matter what it seems like, it is well with my soul. It's an understanding of, of what commitment is, of what a loyalty is, what God's faithfulness to those who accept him, who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Those who have said, ah, Jesus, I believe in you. Ah, Jesus, I love you. Lord, Father, I worship you. Ah, Holy Spirit, I need you in my life to guide and direct and give me hope, to give me understanding and perspective and perception. Holy Spirit, I need you for the quickening. Those of you who have done that, who have accepted, who cry out to God, oh Lord, who understanding, who have understanding of the ecclesia, the body of Christ called together to support, to lift up, to edify, to strengthen one another, understand what commitment is. And I hope with these four examples today, you have a new understanding of the various ways that God has showed us, that God explains to us an understanding of faithfulness, of commitment, and our hope in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, we, we thank you for the word in Scripture. Lord, we thank you for the writings that quicken our souls, that lift us up, that encourage us. God, we thank you for your mercy, for your grace, for forgiveness, Lord, for putting hope in the, in the center of our life because of Jesus, for giving us, Lord, the path in front of us, the light in which to see that path, and the strength in order to take each step. Lord, thank you for church, for ecclesia, where we can remind one another to have our eyes turned upward, to have our hearts, Lord, open and joyful and filled with praise and glory and hallelujah. Praise ye the Lord. We thank you, Lord, for this time together now. In Jesus' name, amen. Blessings, everyone. Uh, love you.